Welcome home. Uh, we continue our series on the greatest uh, love story ever told, and uh, from creation to Christ, as we consider the people and the land uh, together. Our focus today is on the tabernacle and how God desires to be with His people. So let us pray before we go on. Father God, we thank you for worship. Worship is possible because of the finished work of our son, uh, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to say thank you. Thank you that the veil has been torn asunder so that we can come boldly before you in the righteousness of your Son. Thank you, Lord, for this invitation. And we pray that as we meet with you, your Holy Spirit will speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a teenager, there was a movie that I watched that has etched in my mind. Have you watched this movie yet? Back to the Future. <laughs> this movie was um, released in 1985. Okay, I was 15 years old then. Uh, it is a story of a teenager accidentally sent back to 1955, 30 years ago, in a time-traveling uh, beautiful DeLorean sports car built by his eccentric scientist friend. So 30 years, he went back 30 years and in the past, the character Marty inadvertently prevents his own future parents from falling in love, threatening his own existence. That means to say if the parents didn't fall in love, there wouldn't be him, right? So what did he do? He, had, he was forced to reconcile uh, the pair, the couple, and somehow get back to the future, which is his present 1985. This was the same feeling that I got when I read this passage, uh, preparing for this message. Sometimes reading God's Word, we feel like we are taken back to the future. Right? And that is what exactly uh, we are going to do. Because as we live in God's greatest love story ever told, we are transported back to the past as we consider the tabernacle of the past. And then we get transported back to the present. And then, it's not all, we get transported back to the future as we consider the tabernacle of the future as well today. In all of this, remember this key thought that God's, God's desire to be in the midst of His people. Oftentimes we think of tabernacle, we think of temple, we think of us going to God. But today, we want to take it from another perspective that God's desire to be with His people. As we listen to the tabernacle of the past, the present and the future, understand that it is God's desire to be with us. And coming to God in the tabernacle, in the temple, and in the temple of the future, it is our response to God's invitation of having Him in our midst. So let's get transported to the past as we look at the tabernacle of the past. During the Old Testament, uh, during Exodus in the Old Testament times, uh, last week, we heard of the Passover, right? Uh, how God used Moses 
to bring the people out of Egypt by sacrificing an animal, painting the door frame, so that when the death angel came by, he will pass over that household and not go in and kill the firstborn. And God, through the miracles, the plagues you know, that, uh, yeah, that happened in Egypt, brought the people out into the wilderness. And now God gave instructions for the construction of the tabernacle as his dwelling place in the midst of his chosen people in the desert. Exodus 25 starts with, starting from verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. There's no compulsion, no compulsion given. Huh? Moses was told by God to receive the offering on behalf of God from everyone who gave willingly whose heart prompts them to give. And what are the offerings? These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Purple, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. Goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather. Acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. And pay attention to verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me. With all these that you have collected, have them make a sanctuary for me. And watch this. And I will dwell among them. God comes and dwells among His people. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And then from verse, uh, from chapter 26 to chapter 30, God goes into details every piece of furniture that He wants it to be made. In the book of, Gen uh, in the book of Exodus, the tabernacle is referred to as the tent of meeting. Tent of meeting, meeting room conference room, tent of meeting, or simply the tent or dwelling. The first term, tent of meeting, may relate to Israel's political identity. See, after the Israelites came out of Egypt, the Israelites journeyed in the wilderness to the promised land. Along the way, they, they were a confederation of 12 tribes. It's very political. Who calls the shots? Who makes the decision? Which tribe? The Israelites needed an authoritative voice to provide law for judgment and guidance. As the lawgiver, judge and guide, God commanded Moses to build this tabernacle to meet and communicate with his people. The tabernacle became a place where God talked with Moses face to face. Moses acted as God's spokesperson before God and God met Moses and the people of Israel at the tent of meeting. God was the head of the covenant assembly and he gave instructions through oracle voices, particularly through Moses in the wilderness. That means to say, in the tabernacle, 
God will speak to Moses and then Moses will then relay the God's message to the people. The, sec- the original meeting, uh, meaning of the second term is the tent. It has also been translated as the dwelling. The tent or the dwelling. God tabernacles, He dwells or encamps in the midst of His people. This is the climax of the Old Testament. God coming to dwell with His people. Before this, they didn't see God at all. Now, God came. The terms, tent of meeting and the dwelling place, represent God's temporal dwelling among the Israelites. It shows God's two things about God. One, the transcendence of God. And two, the immanence of God. Two very big theological words. Transcendence means above and beyond. And God has to transcend to come and dwell with the people. That is transcend. Imminence means God with us. That one, easier for us to understand. God transcends being. No human has access to God. The tabernacle also serves as a symbol of God's imminence among His people and a centralized and sacred place to worship God in the desert. The tabernacle perfectly portrays both God's transcendence and imminence. God's transcendence which is unapproachable because of His complete perfection. This we understand, right? A holy God we cannot meet because He is holy and we are sinful. But God can transcend and come to us if He so chooses because He is God. That is transcendence. Under Moses, Israel came to worship a unique God. This God is different from any other God. God was a righteous and living God among the unreliable and dead gods of the Near East. They had many gods, right? They had many gods. These are dead gods, idols with hands, with mouths, but cannot move, cannot speak. According to Exodus 26 and 30, 36, the tabernacle was a portable temple. Can we put up the picture of the tabernacle? Okay, so this is a picture of the tabernacle. It was made of wooden frames put together to form a rectangular building measuring 30 cubits long, 10 or 12 cubits wide, and 10 cubits high. One cubit is about the length of an average person uh, from the elbow to your fingertip. That is one cubit. The tabernacle stood open on the eastern side. So there's a door, the entrance at the eastern side. The tent was covered with bands of fine woven material sewn together to make two big pieces fastened together with hooks and clips. It's like camping, right? One big piece, the, your roof, so to speak, and then fastened down to the ground. The bands were embroidered with figures of cherubim. Goatskin bands were stretched over the tent. 
they were a little wider and longer than the material of the cloth pants. Falling over the sides of the tent, dyed red skins of rams covered the whole tent. The tabernacle was divided into two sections. The holy place measured 20 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. The most holy place, a cube-shaped chamber measuring 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. The two sections were formed by two great curtains, three protective coverings spread over these curtains, a finely treated and imported leather outer, a red dyed ram's hide and goat's hair. The most holy place was closed off from the holy place by a curtain hung on four acacia wood supports, and the entrance of the most holy place was protected by an embroidered screen hung on acacia support. The Ark of the Covenant, can you find the Ark of the Covenant? It's right inside the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant was placed behind the curtain in the most holy place. The table of presence bread and the altar of incense was also there. The holy place housed the candlestick and the table of bread. The altar was outside the entrance of the tent with a hand-washing basin. After the Israelites entered the promised land, they created a monarchy. Okay, so after 40 years of wandering, they finally went into the promised land and they had no more need for the tabernacle. They abandoned their nomadic lifestyle and they had a king now. And we know that David's son, King Solomon, built the first temple. The peace and prosperity that the Israelites gained in King Solomon's time may have made it possible for them to build the temple in Jerusalem. This is significant. David's son built the temple. And later on, we will understand that the son of David, referring to Jesus Christ, came. The temple became the dwelling place of God and the focal point of Israel's worship. The temple innermost room called the Holy of Holies housed the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, this is the, a picture of the temple, but not the temple that Solomon built. This is Herod's temple, which commonly known as the second temple. Nobody had a picture of how the first temple looked like, but pretty much the same like this. It housed the Ark of the Covenant. And various kinds of sacrifice were uh, performed at the temple to remove impurities, atone for sins, and to make peace with God. The temple in Jerusalem was the permanent replacement for the tabernacle, the tents where God resided among His people during their wilderness wanderings. The first temple was built by King Solomon around 950 BC and was destroyed in 586 BC by the, by, by the Babylonians. After the fall of Babylon, we know that Jewish exiles returned to Jerusalem, led by Zerubbabel, began to rebuild the temple, and the second temple was completed around 518 or 517 BC, and was extensively renovated by Herod the Great, starting in 20 BC. So this is how the temple looked like in 20 BC. And then Jesus came. 
and the Romans finally destroyed the second temple, this temple, in AD 70 during the Jewish revolt. Today, when you visit Jerusalem, you will not find the temple on the Temple Mount because it has been destroyed. Take note that both the tabernacle and the temple show God's indwelling and transcendence. These views complement one another, demonstrating that God, who is inaccessible and transcendent, has made himself available to his people. You see, for us, we are either transcendent or we are with someone. But God can be both. And that is how God made himself available to his people. The tabernacle and the temple was a physical representation of the presence of God among his people. It was a symbol of God's desire to dwell among his people and to have fellowship with him. You see, it is first and foremost God's idea of the tabernacle and the temple. God came and then he invited the people to come. Oftentimes, when we think of temple and tabernacle, we think of us going. But all this is God's idea because of His desire. Through the tabernacle, God demonstrated His holiness, His grace, and His willingness to forgive sin. But the tabernacle was only a, true, a, a foreshadow. Tabernacle and temple was only a shadow of the true tabernacle, who is Christ Himself. And now we come to New Testament. I had to give you all this historical background yeah, so that we understand and appreciate what it means for us in the present day. In the New Testament, we read in John 1.1, 1, 1, here we have a statement of creation to Christ. John 1 verse 1 reads like this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God, in the beginning, through Him, the Word, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 14, the Word became flesh, made His dwelling or tabernacles among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Finally, finally, the true tabernacle came, transcended and came to dwell among us. Finally, Emmanuel, God with us, came in the person of Jesus Christ in John 1.14 the true son of David. Jesus transcended and came to tabernacle with us, once again displaying God's transcendence and imminence and his desire to dwell with men. He became the God-man. Transcendence, imminence, God-man. Fully God and fully man. Born in the manger that very first Christmas. In the New Testament Gospels, Jesus' followers experienced the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was God 
in human form. Walking, talking, eating with them, and even performed many miracles before their eyes. Jesus came not only to be the perfect God-man, He came to be the perfect sacrificial lamb of God. Jesus did not just come to tabernacle with us. He became that sacrificial lamb. Without blemish, without sin, dying once and for all. Jesus died to take away the sins of the world. Jesus is the true tabernacle, the one who embodies the presence of God among his people. Through his death on the cross, he made a way for us to have fellowship with God and to enter into his presence. Let's move on to the tabernacle of the present. As we consider the past, now we want to consider the present. How does God tabernacle with us? Before Jesus was crucified, in John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17, Jesus said this, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Who is this person? The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Jesus promised that the Father would give us another advocate, the Holy Spirit. Why did He need to say this? Because He knows that He's going to die. This was said to His disciples before He died. This is significant. In another Gospel, according to Luke, it ends with, Luke ends with chapters 23 and 24. I will not read for us the two chapters, but it records for us, if you have time, do a quick survey. It records for us the crucifixion in, verse, uh, in chapter 23, the death, burial, and then in chapter 24, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and after that, his appearance to the apostles, and then the ascension. That means to say, Jesus ascended. Jesus ascended means that his disciples will not have Jesus with him. Imagine yourself as an apostle. Jesus called you. You were a fisherman before. Now Jesus called you. Come, follow me. And you follow him. For the next three years and a half, probably you went with Jesus. You slept in the same house, ate the same food, uh, walked with him, saw all the miracles, and then suddenly Jesus died. How will you feel? My first question would be, God, where are you? Right? Jesus, where are you? That's why before he died, he had to give them that promise that I will give you the Holy Spirit before, before he dies, he says that to them. And interestingly, the same human writer, Dr. Luke, the evangelist who wrote Luke also wrote Acts. Luke chapter 24 ended with the ascension. Guess what Acts chapter 1 begins with? The ascension. It's like a two-part series, you know. Part, part 1, 
And then when you watch part two, uh, it begins like a little bit of you know, recap of part one. And he records for us the ascension. And then Acts chapter 2 records for us one very significant event. You know what is that? The coming of the Holy Spirit. After the ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit. I don't have this on slide, but I'll read for us. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a loud a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Came from heaven. Not from the window, but from heaven. And filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Why is this important? This is important because it tells us that God didn't leave His fearful disciples by themselves to struggle with their life and with their faith. Sometimes as we read God's Word, you know, we envy the disciples, right? How nice if I were to be able to live in the same house as Jesus, eat with Jesus, talk with Jesus, walk with Jesus, you know, and perform miracles with Jesus. You know, how nice that would be. To be up close and personal with Jesus. But friends, this is the reality. The reality is this. We have an even more intimate relationship with God now than the disciples had with Jesus. Why do I say this? While Jesus walked side by side with the disciples, it was for a limited time, three and a half years. That was how long the ministry of Jesus lasted. But we have the Holy Spirit perpetually living within us 24-7 for all eternity. Jesus had to speak before his disciples hear him. But now we have the Holy Spirit inside us speaking to us 24-7, as it were, if you are sensitive enough to hear the Holy Spirit. Unlike God's presence with Israel, with the tabernacle and the temple, a presence that seemed to come and go, and unlike Jesus who walked with his followers for a limited time, the Holy Spirit will be our constant companion 24-7. Even when you are asleep, he watches over you. He is indeed God with us. He indwells us and our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why there's no longer any temple. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus also said that this advocate would help us. The Holy Spirit does not just walk with us. He helps us to live holy and godly lives. Not perfect lives, but holy and godly lives. Because no one can live perfect lives. Holy Spirit prompts us. He teaches us the things of God. When you read the Bible, I was once like that. Nah? So if you read your Bible, you don't understand. If you are a new Christian, it is alright. I was once like that. 
But slowly, by and by, the Holy Spirit will teach you. You do not try to know everything in your first year, right? It's like a primary one child, a primary one child trying to, to understand uh, what the university students are studying. Sometimes Christians, young, when we are young, we think, oh, we need to know everything. No need. It is progressive revelation. You heard this word from Pastor Isaac. Progressive revelation. God will teach you and reveal to you what you need to know. What you need to know, you need to obey it. And when you obey it, you go to primary two. And God will teach you. And you obey it, you go to primary three. You don't need to know the Bible cover to cover before starting to obey God. It's as simple as that. The Holy Spirit will teach us the things of God. And He empowers us for the service in God's kingdom. And He gives us spiritual gifts. His help is indispensable for the follower of Christ. As Christians, we are called to live in the reality of this tabernacle. This is our reality. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are called to live in the presence of God. I say that again. This is the holy temple of the Holy Spirit. We are called to live in the presence of God. To offer ourselves as living sacrifices and to fellowship with God through prayer worship and obedience. We are called to be holy because God is holy. And we strive to be like Jesus, the perfect image of God. So let us remember the tabernacle. The tabernacle, the physical representation of God's presence among His people. And let us strive to live in the reality of the true tabernacle, Jesus Christ Himself. May we always seek His presence and will in our lives. And may we never forget the sacrifice He made to make fellowship with God possible. Friends, I know that life is not easy. Sometimes on Sunday, we hear sermons like this. And then Monday, reality strikes. Friends, this is reality. It begins on Sunday. Have you noticed that your calendar begins on Sunday? Not on Monday? <laughs> Why? Because it is the Lord's day. You find encouragement here. This is reality. Go out and live your life. I know, life is not easy. All of us face different, difficult challenges. Perhaps relationship issues, work issues, financial issues, health issues, academic issues, domestic issues. Different ones of us face different issues. This is the reality of life. I don't want to minimize your challenges because they are real to you. You don't have to fear your challenges. Sometimes we are fearful of our challenges. Why? Because of self-preservation. We are scared of being hurt. We are scared of how others look at us. Why do we have the fear of heights? Because we're scared we fall and die. Self-preservation. That's why we have this fear. Have you ever wondered why a child of 2-3 years old, they can walk to the edge of a ledge, very high ledge, and then they have no fear one? 
because they do not have self-preservation. They do not know what is danger. But we know what is danger. And because of self-preservation, we are fearful. We have seen it happen to others. We are afraid it will happen to us. Isn't that what it is? Reality. You don't have to fear your challenges. Why do I say that? Your challenges are not here forever. Besides, don't forget, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with you and God loves you. God didn't remove the Israelites from the desert to keep them safe when they were in the wilderness. Similarly, God will not remove us from our reality to keep us safe. But just as He promised that He will be with the Israelites, He promised that He will be with us. God tabernacles with us even in our challenges. Sure, sometimes we may cry out to God from time to time. Cry out to God to deliver us from some of our difficult situations. But remember this, when we cry out to God, sometimes God may calm the storm. Sometimes God may calm us in the midst of the storm. Turn to God. Trust Him to see you through your challenges. Not by your own strength, but with God's help as you yield to the Holy Spirit. Always remembering this, God loves you. God didn't send His Son to die for you and then after that, sabo you. God doesn't do that. He doesn't sabotage you. God loves you and His love is constant. So whatever happens in our life, remember, God loves me. He has good plans for you, a loving plan for you. Obey the Holy Spirit's still small voice within you when you pray. When you meet challenges, do you pray? When you meet challenges, do you read the Word of God? When you meet challenges, do you worship and sing to God, praise Him? There was one song in our worship set, you know, in the midst of our challenges or something like that, you know, in our desperation, we pray and then we also sing. Later, maybe we'll, we'll come to that. Another thing to recognize, recognize that the human body is a tent. It is a tabernacle. It is a temple. Temple of the Holy Spirit during our life. But soon it will be taken down and replaced. Second Corinthians 5.1 says this, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. This body is temporal. Life challenges are temporal. So look towards eternity. Your challenges will end. This life will end. But eternity doesn't end. Set your affections and eye on the future. That's where we are today. So what is next? The tabernacle of the future. Revelation takes us up to heaven. 
God's people dwelling with Him in glory. There is no longer any veil, no separation, no pain, no sorrow. Revelation does not end with men going up to heaven to live forever with the Lord. Oftentimes we think that way, right? But it ends with God coming down from heaven to live with men in a tent which is now called a great city. Revelation 21 describes that glorious heavenly Jerusalem for us. And we are united with the new heaven and new earth. And it is glorious for many reasons. The most astounding is that God himself dwells there. And therefore, this is the very definition of heaven. 21, Revelation 21 verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, this is saying to John, Come, I will sh show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, referring to the church. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain high, uh, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down, coming down, out of heaven from God. Heaven is not up there. Heaven is going to be down here. From heaven down. The other thing to note, in the new Jerusalem, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun and so on and so forth. But note with me that there won't be a temple. There won't be a tent. The veil is, of course, not there. The Bible ends with this glorious promise that God will come again to dwell with His people forever at a much more glorious level than anything we have experienced, even in our most intense moments of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. God desires to be with you and intimacy with you, both now and for all eternity. So when you face challenges, don't turn away from God. Think of eternity. He loves you and He transcends to tabernacle with you. Friends, I know this is reality. We are busy people. Right? We are busy people. But friends, if you are too busy to think of eternity, you are too busy running against time. There's an African proverb, and I want to end with this, that says, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows that it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed. True? True, right? Every morning, the same morning, a lion wakes up. It knows that it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you are a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. Yes, all of us, when the sun comes up, we are running, right? Running to the toilet, running for breakfast, running to the car, running to work, and then run from this to that, one appointment to another appointment. We are running all the time, right? 
We are running everywhere. I hope we are not running like headless chicken. You know how the headless chicken run, right? No direction one. Got life but no soul. Headless chicken. I hope we are not like that. Yes, we are running a race. May it be a race of faith. And when we face challenges, the question we ask ourselves, do I run away from God or do I run towards God? Run to tabernacle with God Emmanuel. Friends, we are going back to the future. We only have one life to do this right. We are going back to the future. God bless you. I give you some time to think about the message and talk to God. Request the worship team to come and lead us in the closing song at the appropriate time.